Welcome back to the show. I say welcome back. It's the first time in person, but yeah, <laughs> welcome. Thanks very much. It's good to be back on the, the day the restrictions have gone as well in Northern Ireland. So yeah, right. uh, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. That's such an yeah, that's a nice, nice time to be nice time to be alive. Good yeah, time to celebrate. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's it's funny, I was walking with my wife in Hillsborough Forest today, and both of us sort of felt as though a weight had been lifted off us, you know, and it wasn't as though we were sort of strictly obeying the uh, the, the restrictions or anything, but it, it just did feel like um, it was it was it was a different atmosphere. Even walking in a public park, everybody was out. There was no sign of any masks at all. So um, it's it's great. But of course, you know, having been involved in the resistance, if you like, <laughs> for nearly two years. You know, that amount of effort and that amount of investment of time, normally you would have been celebrating with champagne, but of course it's sort of gone unnoticed, you know, but but now of course they're all gone. And the UK is almost aligned, the devolved regions are almost aligned with England now, not quite, but getting there. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're basically, I mean, Scotland's going the complete opposite direction, but it's, to me, the question that I've I've had over the last month or so, right, is where we've seen... We've gone from the point where England decided they were going to go for it. They were like one of the world first, apart from say like places like Texas or South Dakota or um, Sweden that are just going to go, look, right, we're dropping everything. It's over. Um, we're done. And then to watch this like domino effect happen across a lot of the world. like, And, and I see politicians in other countries citing the UK as like, we should follow their example, which is an odd thing for someone of my generation. <laughs> you never follow for this example. Um, but the question on my mind has been, do you think it's like, do you think it's the, the wind changing and everyone sort of going, okay, well, you know, it's over. Or do you think it's the politicians realizing that there's not as much fit, something, there's not as much support for the restrictions anymore? Or is it something like more sinister where someone has gone, right, okay, We've taken all the power we can get. We've looted all the money we can get. Time to like let them have a bit of life back. <laughs> I I really don't know. You know, it's like discussing the the source of the. You know, is is there a conspiracy, a grand global conspiracy that led us to where we are? You know, there's there's that whole debate. But but now the debate is, well, how did it suddenly end? In the in the way it did. You know, it's a bit like the end of the War of the Worlds. You know, where. There's some strange insect suddenly starts uh, killing the uh, the invaders, um, but I think to come to the defence of of Britain, I do think that the resistance uh, in the UK was um, much more carefully planned and much better coordinated. Even though it was individually motivated, uh, there were a number of individuals uh, on social media and in terms of the sort of. Uh, groundwork campaigning that went on. I think it just came together, it coalesced better. And, and some of the people that emerged from that movement were extremely articulate, particularly the uh, the Together campaign, the Together Declaration. Alan Miller did a, a wonderful job really getting that off the ground because he, he kind of knew his constituency very well. But also it really played to the UK strengths in terms of civic action and human rights focused activities. You know, there's the you know, it harped right back to the days of here, you know, the, the civil rights movement and in, in and, and further back, you know, the, the votes for women, the suffragettes movement and so on. So we have been pioneers in terms of the obtaining of human rights. And 
And obviously, a lot of those, uh, having claimed those rights, they were codified into universal declarations, international declarations as well. Um, so I think it was inevitable that it would come from England. Um, and of course, we have a common law. Uh, you know, we don't have constitutional law, which in some respects has worked against us. You know, you see Trudeau actually using the fact that there's the sort of Canadian Charter, to, using that as a stick to beat the protesters over the head with. Whereas I think the common law tradition in England has meant that that people who have had genuine concerns about uh, wanting to reclaim some of those human rights, I think that's the reason that has been successful. And we've owned social media. You know, I think a lot of the people who got involved have been extremely social media savvy, and I think that's a that's a key reason. Whether the dominoes that are going to fall, there's the, and then there's the Scandinavian effect as well. You know, Sweden being at the forefront of this really from the get-go and being singularly ignored. But of course, now that the United Kingdom has sort of fallen into line and England in particularly uh, has fallen into line, we can see, of course, that the numbers haven't gone up. There wasn't really any pandemic to speak of that the, the vaccines have had next to no effect. Therefore, everything would have just continued without, a, without all of the trappings of nonsense that we have had to put up with here when in England, of course, they were dispensed with back in July. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really, that's, that, 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 that's good. Yeah, yeah. leave us up here, YouTube. Um, <laughs> when you say something like that to a lot of people who are in like a bubble where everything is still to be scared of, where um we have where you know we haven't had two years of lockdowns and sort of shown that i don't know i i don't think there's anyone who admits that there was no consequence of them whatsoever um and there was that johns hopkins study um that had showed that lockdowns had reduced mortality um from covid by i think zero zero point two percent and even if that's out by like an order of magnitude. So say it's 10 times too low and it's really, it reduced mortality by 2%. Like, is that worth it? Was, was that, you know? And, and it's such an uncomfortable like discussion to try and have because then you're, you're, you get into a position where you're, you're, you're in like getting into a psychological situation where you're thinking, okay, well, if I was the one who decided who would live and who would die, who would I choose? And it's like, wow, that's, that is a really, I get uncomfortable with those sort of discussions mm -hmm. and like decisions. Yeah. It, it's, you know, there was a tweet put out by the Northern Ireland branch of the, of the BMA, uh, I think it was yesterday saying, of course, you know, with the lifting of restrictions, it's still not over and they would still be having a watching brief, but where's the watching brief for all of the other consequences of lockdown and not just lockdown, but the restrictions, you know, you saw, for example, the, what you know, we had uh, we had the the vaccine passport system in place at a cost of over ten million pounds in Northern Ireland for some total of five weeks. The Northern Ireland civil rights, Northern Ireland civil rights movement. Yeah, so uh, you talked about that, and it's funny. I got real Nicra vibes from uh, the truckers' convoy. You know, I was I, I had. Um, when I was in, in uni at Queen's, I had Paul Bew as uh, one of my politics lecturers. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was there. He was telling us what it was like on the People's Democracy March in, I believe it was 1969, um, from Belfast to Burnt Tullet, mm -hmm. when they got uh, 
ambushed, shall we say, yep. <laughs> outside of outside of Derry. And yeah, so it's it's a really it's a funny thing because the people who would be screaming that Nicro were right for fighting for freedom and equal rights and treatment are not the people that I see cheering yeah. the truckers, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. and, and vice versa, you know? Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. And I, I, it's funny, this kind of came home to me when I was watching Ken Branagh's movie, Belfast, which I thought was superb, by the way. It was, it was beautifully paced and it was just right length. But essentially, you know, I think it was partly autobiographical and uh, Branagh lived in Bolton Street, I believe. And, you know, it just... He saw from the Protestant family perspective, you know, the effect of the, the pogroms of the um, Catholic population in, in those working class areas of Belfast. And and now kind of was the, the basis for the movie, you know, that it was showing through the eyes of a child, the, the concept of othering where a community can be ostracized and othered on the basis of just whether they describe themselves as Catholic or Protestant. And and I think that's of course what has been happening with uh, with the pan the so-called pandemic. You know that, that certain people have been ostracized and sidelined. Uh, one because they believe in bodily autonomy, or two that they've chosen and may may well have even been vaccinated. You know, if you take the together campaign that I mentioned earlier, Alan Miller is vaccinated, but he he felt so strongly that th there was this idea of othering and sidelining and ostracizing that he had to do something about it and um and that's why like you i've been so surprised because there are many people who live here who have been through that process of othering and doing down and and sidelining and 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 yet have said nothing about this you know the fact is this vaccine regardless of its, of its efficacy and i'm not going to make an argument one way or the other and I, I noticed that novak djokovic hasn't been making that argument today he simply said that i have the right as an individual to choose not to take this thing and that is not the basis upon which governments should say that these people are to be done down or that these sh people should not be able to participate in society and that is a fundamental uh, tenet of human rights, and it's been sorely missing here. And of course, now we see people who should have been on the right side of history and the right side of the argument now coming out and saying that it was because of the efforts of the executive that we got these restrictions lifted today. What utter <laughs> hypocritic, hypocritical nonsense. Uh, you know, I just cannot believe this. I, I was stunned, and I, I actually mean it stunned. Like, every single time I feel like... The, new lows and and just like unbelievable levels of irony and gaslighting can be, I, I, every time i think we've hit the peak like something new comes out of the mouth of a politician from northern ireland especially maybe it's just because i've been i've been like watching so closely as to like what their policies have been and because yeah it's where we're from but i've like people like nicola mallon for example who who like who'd be preaching about masks and then this photographed in in like not just outside she said there was the photograph first off where she was outside the school without the mask and she was like oh it's all right we were outside the children chose to leave their masks on and then there was they find a picture of her inside the freaking school and then they're screaming about needing more restrictions more restrictions more restrictions right up until the second it seems 
where they realized the wind was changing. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. it's the DUP's fault that we have to, you know, they're the ones causing the restrictions to continue. And I was just like, do you have no sense of irony anymore? Yeah, it's, it really is quite remarkable. And of course, they all had, you know, uh, masked photographs of, of themselves on their, their Twitter profiles. And the, the virtue signaling was quite simply abhorrent. And, you, you know, the, the fact they couldn't see any virtue in saying this is wrong. The, yeah, regardless, it's the, like the point you were making earlier about the, you know, the minuscule percentage of lives saved, if, if indeed there were any as a result of lockdown, can easily be counterbalanced by the horrific levels of, of mental health issues, by the waiting list uh, growth of, of cancer patients, by the fact that people weren't able to see their GPs, that the elderly were isolated and, and enervated, and, and, and they cannot see any virtue in standing up for those people. And for two years of this utter nonsense, they've been strutting around virtue signaling, masked, and, and then like that, it all changes. And and I have to say, you know, the one MLA who's come out of this so well is 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 Paul Paul Fru, who's just been incredible. And and you know, he's essentially gone against the party line. The DUP, in many respects, were complicit as well. Uh, there was clearly a schism between the the DUP's MLAs and their parliamentary uh, party. Um, uh, you know, frankly, Je Jeffrey Donaldson, my own MP in Lagan Valley, and, and now the party leader. Um, it didn't really present a strong line whatsoever. You know, he didn't come out and say that Northern Ireland should be brought into line with England when the, reg uh, the regulations were dispensed with back in July. You know, we've had to put up with this for what, seven, eight, nine months longer than England. And, and clearly all the evidence suggested that these things had to go and yet nothing was said by the leadership of the DUP, nothing was said by the first minister. Uh, and for all they're arguing that Northern Ireland should be in line with the rest of the United Kingdom in terms of EU exit, there were very few uh, arguments made to that effect in terms of COVID response. I want to get to the protocol. I really do. Um, but first, actually, um, have you seen that clip of Arlene Foster on GB News where she's talking about someone challenges her on you know why the DUP went along with the restrictions and and whatnot and she says well we tried to be sensible but you know the media and everyone stirred up this whole uh, like hysteria and then you know we had no choice but to go along with it do you think that's like an accurate assessment of what happened I think the DUP in fact all the political parties were spooked in a similar way and that there was the kind of uh, politics of the crowd um you know it in the same way as it's difficult to walk into Sainsbury's when everybody is masked, when you, you're unmasked, it's difficult for a politician uh, to come out and say, well, you know, we disagree with this position when literally all over the world, uh, you know, the, the emperor has no clothes. You know, it, it, they, they, were, they didn't take a position um, simply because the consensus view was. But I think there's a limitation to that argument. Northern Ireland is, is not London. You know, the the um, COVID ran through London, probably the original Wuhan variant ran through London incredibly quickly, but it's then it's a very densely packed population. Northern Ireland never really had a COVID pandemic. The numbers indicated that, you know, that we didn't even have the April spike that they had in England, really? certainly not in London. 
the levels of excess deaths in Northern Ireland were, you know, not outlandish. You know, I did a video, um, a tale that. of two Januaries. Uh, now, admittedly, that focused on English data, but the the data for Northern Ireland was even more stark. You know, there have been many winters, and I remember Mary Louise Connolly uh, broadcasting about the the winter of uh, twenty eighteen. Uh, where the spike in flu was much more severe, really than than we had than we had seen for decades, uh, or so so it seemed at the time. But when you look at the data, these spikes actually are incredibly frequent. Um, so there was nothing particularly outlandish in our excess death numbers, but nobody focused on this. Uh, the DUP, unfortunately, in common with the other local political parish pump parties, isn't very good at looking at empirical evidence. And had they done so, you know, I think they could have come to a conclusion pr pretty readily. That, and that is the thing, I think, and it's largely because I think that Northern Ireland's conflict, you know, was tribal. The middle classes kind of decided that they weren't going to get involved in politics here uh, for decades. And, and as a result, our political class is actually often ill-educated, not particularly worldly, um, they 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 tend to to be the type of people who couldn't hold down a job in any other way except <laughs> if they get elected to office, <laughs> and therefore, unfortunately, they don't come up with particularly innovative solutions. And I think that was the DU's, DUP's problem. They have a lot of backwoods men, and um, and yet they had some star talent here, and those those people should have been. Uh, been raised to the fore, and and they may well, and I don't know what Paul's going to do, whether he'll run as an independent or whether he'll continue taking the DUP ticket in, in May, but it remains to be seen. But at least he uh, he argued well and presented the evidence in the assembly, which none of the rest of them did. They just singularly ignored it, and that is utterly disgraceful. Mm. Now, to give some credit to some of our politicians, or a little bit more... Um what should we say, leeway. I I was lucky enough to have um, Brian Class, Dr. Brian Class, on the on the podcast here a couple of weeks ago, and he wrote a book called Corruptible. Uh, it's basically examining whether whether power corrupts people or whether the corruptible people end up in power, basically. And there was one particular chapter in that book where he was talking about how quite often politicians or our leaders can be trying to do things that they think is for the best and that they genuinely in their heart of hearts believe is doing good but at the same time that they can be blind to perhaps like the second order effects of things especially when you know for example they've tried something in a lab or in a small trial somewhere and that's worked and then they want to like roll it out to the whole rest of the public and you don't know how that's gonna how, how you know scaling things up is going to affect it and and i try I, i'm trying to be basically i'm trying to be generous in a way because i don't want to think they're all evil horrendously incompetent corrupt pieces of shit i don't want to think that <laughs> i want to think some of them are at least like just misguided like vaguely good people oh goodness it's it's tricky isn't it you know there maybe there could have been a time i think there are a few notable exceptions you know the the, the fact was that we did have a number of uh, you know a cohort a small cohort of um mps who voted against the um the so-called emergency uh, COVID legislation um, and the Coronavirus Act and, and all of the different iterations that had to be voted through. 
Um, but but they were few and far between, frankly. Um, and and we, and also we just didn't really hear much in the in the in the public realm uh, people complaining about the the loss of liberty. You know, this was this is pretty much pretty fundamental. I think though it's clear that certain MPs have been bought, um, and you know it, it's a bit. I, I presented recently at a at a Bitcoin uh, uh, meetup here in, in Belfast, and they asked me to comment about the um, one of the one of the, the big conspiracies around the whole thing has been the involvement of the World Economic Forum, and um, a good example of this is. Um, a good example of the kind of conspiracy is the, is the, the whole smart cities initiatives. Um, and, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum has a, um, a smart cities chapter, in effect, you know, a, a, an organization within an organization, uh, which I believe is, is organized by Klaus Schwab's own son, uh, Olivier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the World Economic Forum Smart Cities uh, Group. They see a Klaus Schwab's So, yeah, the World Economic Forum has these, this Smart Cities initiative, and there are a, a number of cities that were invited uh, to participate in the rollout of a, uh, a global program, essentially organized by the WEF. Yeah, the global oh, global smart cities alliance. Lovely. Yes. Ah, there we are. The future of cities. This is similar to the stuff well, I, you'll I. You'll see on this list that Belfast City Council appears um, as one of the uh, chosen cities. It's just in that right sidebar there. You'll see Belfast. You see there, Belfast. Yeah, City Yeah, there it is. Yeah. That's a really weird. Like, it's not astonishing. It's like ABB Access is real. Google. Yep. <laughs> Bloomberg Associates. You know, so, so Belfast there, City. Council. So there you go. Belfast City Council is up there in lights. Um, and it was one of the the cities. Um, those seem to be partners that are listed there. But yeah, it was one of the cities that was chosen uh, to uh, yeah be a um, yeah an exemplar with, uh, exemplar with city. Chimay, actually. Yeah. So the, the, it was a, chosen to be an exemplar city for this G20 Global Smart Cities Alliance, as, long, as well as London and Leeds, I believe it was, which yeah. are the three UK cities. And the people who are, uh, you know, there are people involved in Belfast City Council who have kind of been nominated and chosen then to serve on some of the, the governing bodies of the Smart Cities Alliance. And so what, what the WEF is very good at doing is, is saying, right, small um, pa parish bureaucrat come and and be with us and we will kind of laud you and and make it clear that you're an extraordinarily important person um and it's not corruption as such but it's kind of pandering to people's egos you know they suddenly people who essentially have been uh city bureaucrats can be um put into positions of apparent power um and and therefore, you you got to question where their loyalties lie. Uh, you know, is is a, an official from Belfast City Council who's appointed onto a World Economic Forum committee, for example, are there are those people's loyalties going to lie with the constituents or the mm. the uh, the taxpayers of, of Belfast City, or are they going to lie with the World Economic Forum? 
And the WEF is very good at that. You know, it, it has the World Leaders Program, which Trudeau was, was in, and then you've got business leaders. Yeah. Uh, Can we get that up, the World Leaders Program? Yeah, and then there's the, the you know, Zuckerberg, for example, is was nominated as one of these potential global leaders. Yeah. Um, so they, they choose people in business and commerce and government, et cetera, uh, to, be, to be parts of this program. The world leaders was it world leaders? Uh, yeah. uh, uh, I think it's called leaders of the future or, or world economic future future, future, future leaders. Future leaders, yeah, yeah. Because I've seen that and yeah, future uh, leaders. There it is. Is, the, is this kind of similar to the, the global thing, leaders? Is mm -hmm. this kind of similar to the thing that that they used to run at Queens? That like Clinton global leadership thing. It could well have been, of course, the, the, uh, the, the universities often are sponsored by the World Economic Forum or World Economic Forum partners. The other thing is that, just to go back to the smart cities thing, you know, the, the World Economic Forum, yeah, because it because up the, the, the list of people who are in that, that yes. global, in the young global leaders, see if you can uh, get like the list of it. Uh, so the, um, the smart cities initiative, you, you have, um, you know, as I mentioned, these local bureaucrats who are appointed onto these committees. But then, of course, there are partner organizations, and those partner organizations inevitably will want to flog something to Belfast City Council. Um, so, you, And you have organizations like Huawei, the Chinese telecoms company, uh, which, is, which essentially have been recently stripped out, uh, stripped out of uh, the 5G network in the United Kingdom. Uh, Are they totally gone from it now? Gone, yeah. Well, they, well, they're being stripped out, and of course, there's that's, quite a lot of legacy kit in the network. So it means that if you're if you're an official for Belfast City Council, suddenly you're going to be bombarded with an awful lot of marketing messages from from global technology companies, uh, and it's handy if you have a bit of money to spend. So of course the UK government has this program um, ca called um, uh, it's it's organised by Bayes, one of the uh, the central government departments, and um, that is called the City Deal. So the City Deals are bucket loads of cash that are essentially provided to these cities. And then they can spend all of that money with WEF partners that are part of the Global Cities Alliance, blah, blah, blah. blah. So it just seems very, very internecine, you know, and uh, that, that the World Economic Forum is facilitating this whole program of relationship building, which ultimately results in national governments spending an awful lot of money and, and also, you've got to question the loyalty of the people who are involved in these programs. Is the loyalty with the constituents and the taxpayer, the ratepayer, or is the loyalty to the WEF? Yeah. And you, do, you don't have to go to, like, you don't have to go to satanic elite and the, you know, the psychic, uh, the, the psychic vampires and the intergalactic space government. Like, you, <laughs> you don't have to get there to be like, look, this is concerning that there is a, a group who are unelected, uh, privately funded, very, very well connected, and deciding that they're going to do, uh, basically, they're just going to like work on, on whatever they want the future to look like. Absolutely. And we don't get a say in it. And that's the part that irks me. And when you try to bring attention to it, like the conspiracy theory labels get come out, you know, you, they start throwing the, all of those things at you. And, and, it just sometimes I'm like, like why can't we say that it's a dangerous thing to have a bunch of 
very disconnected, very, very wealthy people, all chums with our politicians and shaping them around a singular ideology and group. It's like that. That just seems like a bad idea, you know. You, yeah. Like I said, you don't have to get to the crazy <laughs> accusations. Yeah. Absolutely, and it, and it used to be that the public service was just that. You know, you had um, elected officials that were that were often elected based on their life experiences and their life skills, and they, you know, maybe they were retired school teachers or. Or, or whatever, you know, but they had invested time and effort into their communities. And the only, the only uh, laurels that they were expecting were to maybe serve the constituents in a non, an unpaid or a very low paid way in order to, to better the community and improve the infrastructure or whatever, you know. It, and, you know, in, in England, for example, you had parish councils where the and often the subject of much derision, but but again, they're 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 locally based. They're often unpaid. They want to see the fabric of their communities improved. They're not expecting any financial gain. And and I rem I, I think I mentioned when we last spoke, I was reading Thatcher's biography. You know, when when Thatcher, you know, in the when she entered Parliament in the what the early seventies, you know. The stipend paid to MPs was derisory. You know, it meant that only people really who were approaching the end of their careers, perhaps maybe it skewed everything towards more elderly members of parliament. But the fact is that people were going into politics not because they would get a huge salary and associated expenses and also be able to sit on the boards of numerous corporates out of it. They were doing it primarily because they felt they could offer something, they could contribute something. Now it's all upended. And I think it does relate to the lack of talent. You know, it's an easy way, an easy access to, um, you know, the, the crown jewels. If, if you can get a position of power and then get all of the associated contacts and influence and, um, and corporate connections from them. But it's also, you know, I think Mussolini said that there wasn't much difference between um, totalitarianism and corporatism. And I think that has never been more the case. You know, corporatism and the lip service that the corporates uh, pay to, to government-defined narratives is, is, is quite remarkable. And I think it's been revelatory for me as much as anybody. You know, I've worked for many of these organizations over the years and, um, and I've found it just astonishing how much compliance there's been and how much um, uh, the, the, the corporates have towed the party line, uh, the party being the global party. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's the concerning part, or the part that really weirds me out about it is that like we watched, we watched this happen and the people don't seem terrified by this fusion of corporations and government so like i mentioned the truckers earlier in canada like they they're they're freezing their bank accounts because they've decided it's like they, they weren't even like the people they weren't even like on the street like defacing something or they weren't even like in the trucks honking as much as that's you know burning down you know portland or or you know you know setting places on fire is is fine because protests don't have to be peaceful, right? Mm. You know, <laughs> CNN. <laughs> um, but honking is literally fascist violence. So 
you know, these people whose bank accounts are being frozen aren't even the people committing the fascist violence. They chose to contribute a few pounds or a few dollars to to help a cause that they believe in, and they're having their bank accounts frozen. Mm. And and none of the politicians in 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 any of our in in Britain in America like there's 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 like crickets about it. And it's like why do you want to do the same fucking thing here? Yeah, I know it's it's really is an a, a incredible that uh, you know we, here we have supposedly some of the greatest Western democracies going down the rabbit hole of dystopia. And and our governments and our media apparently have nothing to say about it. The the only thing we're getting from the BBC is some basic reportage, you know, of what is happening and and what Trudeau is doing to restore order. But there is no uh, no critique, no uh, uh, you know. I, I follow Kate Wand, who's been brilliant, you know, in terms of. Uh, the short little vignette videos that she's been putting together since the start of this whole thing. And she's based in Canada and she's been out interviewing the truckers. Um, Sonia Elijah, to give her a shout out, you know, uh, an investigative journalist now owns her, runs her own Substack again, has been interviewing the the truckers. These people who are, are motivated and and they're motivated from the perspectives of being individuals, and that's why they're truckers. You know, they, they're truckers because they like the independent life. They like not being told what to do. They like being able to run their own agenda and 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 often own and run their own trucks. And and the only camaraderie they get is is through meeting other truckers on the road. And of course, this is what they're doing. They're, you know, they're bringing that camaraderie to to Ottawa. And and all they have received as a genuine citizen movement that, that frankly I believe does represent the mood of Canada. And I've worked with Canadians. I've and and you know it, this is Canada. The truckers are Canada. It's 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 what they do. It's why they're a one. They are a wonderful people. And uh, and that little shit, <laughs> you know. And every statement deriding his own people, the, the salt of the earth, the greatest type of people, the people that we most need to get us out of this unholy mess are being derided and abused and vilified at every opportunity by a jumped up, uh, self-appointed little bigot and tyrant mm. is utterly unbelievable. Definitely not Fidel Castro's son. <laughs> Uh, totally, totally not. Nobody go and look up the. Can we get a side by side? Actually, uh, have you you know the picture? You know the picture. The it's uh, Justin Trudeau beside Fidel Castro. It's amazing. It's like I can't believe it. It's like that's a real coincidence. If that's not his son, because uh, wasn't wasn't Mrs. Trudeau in um, Cuba like eight and a half nine months before Justin was born or? Uh, spawned <laughs> um, but like he's the fact that like that what he's doing is is so unimaginably awful for a documentary yeah there we are <laughs> it is uncanny isn't it isn't it, it really is like just like like just just for like a bit of fun like come on it's a pretty similar one you know you don't actually have to believe that it's his son but like oh look at that one where they're yeah that that one oh <laughs> Draw your own conclusions, people. 
But like what he's doing is, you know, someone pointed this out and, and I hate invoking the Nazis, right? Because I think there's many, many, you know, other ones that you can always talk about. But six years of doing the Nazis in history is, I will never forget the Reichstag fire. <laughs> mm. And the Reichstag fire was a semi-democratically elected leader who didn't have the who was, who was like a who the the who was the leader of a party that didn't have majority support. He was like a minority leader who took an emergency and decided to blow it up massively out of proportion in order to give himself a bunch of emergency powers to like remove like normal democratic things and rights and liberties. And so tell which one am I describing? You know which which one am I? Because they're the fucking same mm. and. It sounds so dramatic, even though I know. Do you know what I mean? It mm. sounds so over the top, but like that's what's happening. Mm. Yeah, I know. And uh, you know, I, I did a, a video uh, in conjunction uh, with a, a, a colleague of mine uh, recently. It was during the time that we were campaigning within the Together organization, you know, against uh, vaccine passports. And that, you know, a lot of people on our side of the argument were saying, you know, this is going to be a papers-based, okay, it was a digital, but it was a papers-based society. And we were kind of relating that to the situation as it, as it was in, in Nazi Germany. But of course, the, the papers-based society and all the other trappings, all the other trappings of the, um, the, regu the regulations and the restrictions in Nazi Germany were overseen by bureaucrats and um you know you'll be aware of the the, the famous uh book uh, the banality of evil which discusses how bureaucrats typically are behind uh the imposition of tyranny and and of course the, that came out in the nuremberg trials where many of the uh the nazi ringleaders and and orchestrators uh, were you know, glorified accountants and bean counters and uh, administrators who were administrating the most horrific acts against against society, and you, you saw the beginnings of that. And of course, I, I was I, I was speaking to Neil Oliver recently, and and he, oh, really? you know, was saying that he felt where we are now is is the eye of the storm. He is not convinced at all that we are out of this. You know, this is kind of the first attempt at the implementation of the banality of evil and we may well see other things occurring and of course even in the united kingdom we're still getting the narrative pumped into us constantly by the mainstream media how many people are still paying attention to that though because i am not there's, there's, i am so checked out it's, it's <laughs> yeah you are and i'm not but uh there's but there's a certain would normally be like you know maybe she wouldn't buy it all but she'd always watch the news and like pay attention to what was going on in the world and she's just like yeah, and there's there's a brilliant YouTube video uh, based on an interview with Aldous Huxley, uh, which I, I watched, which where Huxley essentially says that about twenty percent of society can be immediately hypnotized by propaganda, and this was what they they found in Nazi Germany as well. Um, so um, uh, there's twenty percent, and it might be. Um, I was talking to this uh, uh, about this very subject with my wife today. It might be that they're motivated by fear. And that obviously this was a fear-based cam campaign, but the other aspect of it is, um, you know, that people don't like to be outside of the crowd and they don't like to go against the law. Uh, they, 
they want to be seen to be people who obey the law, mm-hmm. and that's part of the reason why they um, they stuck with the uh, the restrictions. So it wasn't just about the media campaign or mm-hmm. all of the black and yellow signage and the, the social distancing signage and so on, but it was just that they wanted to be part of the in crowd. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that the in crowd suddenly becomes smaller and smaller, and that 20% of hypnotized tends to decline as the middle ground of people who are sort of part hypnotized, not absolutely sure of where they stand or what their position is vis-a-vis the regulations, particularly when they're clearly anti-scientific nonsense. You know, that that middle ground morphs and and they typically move to the other end of the spectrum where there's 20% of society that will never be hypnotized and will always take the view that the government particularly modern governments, yes. modern supposedly liberal democratic governments have an agenda. Yes. Uh, but I think that's what's happened. You know, I met a friend today who said that he wasn't convinced in the early days, but of course now he, you know, he wouldn't, uh, it co- he couldn't believe how he was so easily fooled in the, in the early part of the propaganda campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was on, um, I was on Zuby's show um, when I was promoting my, my first book and um, not long after I managed to put my foot in my mouth, as I always do when I get in a big interview on some show, I will <laughs> I have a great habit. It's like I, I hope for I hope that in my career I eventually get to go on Joe Rogan's show and like make the biggest mistake of my life. I will say the worst thing possible, probably. <laughs> um, but then maybe I'll get loads of views. <laughs> well, that's the way to get views. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I had you know, it was really weird. The, this this thing happened to me this week. Um, I had the first ever time something on my podcast was being taken out of context and like used to smear someone. <laughs> it was amazing. I was like, because the guy asked me, it was, a, it was a guy who was like running for some office in America. And he was like, look, um, I don't want you to ask you to delete this. Would you mind like putting it on private while the campaign is on? Because he was like, people will like, you know, take things I've said there out of context. It was from like five years ago. And it was by artificial intelligence. So we were just talking about like automated cars. And um, it seems way, like I think his, it, I'd be surprised if either of our opinions were the same now as they were then. But it's just like, it's like 20 seconds and people were really like using it to like, this guy is evil. And it was just him being like, you know, you might have like, say a trucker who retrains to work in gardening and he, like completely off the cuff. And people were jumping on it. And I was like, you know, maybe I need to give people the benefit of the doubt a little bit more sometimes, <laughs> you know, just uh, especially when you're always being recorded. You know, it goes back to what I was saying about those pol- the, the politicians. I'd, you know, they were being shown the worst possible models. You know, they weren't being shown the stuff that said this is going to be fine or here's what this could be really bad. They weren't and they weren't being uh, it was not like they were sat in a room being like, well, you know, that might be true, but let's ignore that and go with the, the catastrophic one. Mm. They were literally only seeing the catastrophic one. Yeah. And that's where, you know, it's I just... And it's, it's, this, yeah. it's this idea, though, as well, and I think um, the, the so-called experts play to this. Politicians are, often have no ability at critical thought. And it's just, just purely based... Like, if you look at Boris, for example, he's never really done anything, you know, in the real world. Mm. You know, he, he was a journalist and... And he was a politician, and um, and of course, given where he I'm came from, journalists aren't doing real things. Well, well, 
Yeah, but he was he was kind of feature journalist, uh, you know, an opinion journalist. And given where he came from, people rarely challenged him, you know, regardless of whatever irrational nostrum would come out of his mouth or whatever lie he was he was um, purveying at the particular time. People rarely challenged him, and um, as a result, um, his ability at critical thought became. Uh, it may never have been there in the first place, but it became diminished. You know, people have often said, who know Boris, I don't, but I know people who know him. Mm. And and they say, you know, that he he will just literally latch on to whoever is offering certainty. <laughs> and it's this, uh, you know, I often quote uh, the great physicist, Pro Professor Richard Feynman used to say that he could he could live with doubt and uncertainty. That's what made him thrive, essentially, as a, as a scientist. You know, the doubt and uncertainty was what motivated him to try to get an answer or come up with a hypothesis that might be proven to be true using the scientific method. But politicians will be offered irrational nostrums and they'll grasp on onto them because what that provides them with is sort of simplistic causality, uh, you know, and, and therefore a, a policy position or a policy platform that they can go for. But the lack of sound um, evidential judgment um, means that they will just chase windmills often. And, and that's where we have been. We have been with politicians who, at the behest of the WEF or whoever has been organizing the empirical pseudoscientific base, uh, these politicians have just run with this. All they have done is they've been en masse chasing the same windmill. Yeah. yeah. How many people do you think have been, um, like, quote unquote, red pilled? by this like that's where i was going with the zuby story i said that there were several people in the comment section while i was talking about the pandemic with him and they were like wow this guy got red pilled by covid mm -hmm. and i'm not sure that's quite how i would describe it but like my i still have this perhaps naive and stupid belief that like governments can do some good but mm -hmm. wow am i really really skeptical of giving them any power whatsoever now and they, 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 like the pandemic has taken me as someone who was like very, you know, strong belief in the system and the, the like the established order and like things like that. And you know, maybe I wasn't like completely like, yeah, status quo or like milk toast center of the road didn't realize anything was happening. But like my 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 distrust of all institutions, my belief in in like any of them to do any good for society is just like gone. And I don't know what to do with that level of cynicism. I know. Well, I think you should do with it what you should do with it because we're born with it. I think we're born with that level of cynicism, you know? And we get cynical very quickly and we stick our hand in the fire as babies, you know, we'll soon, we'll not do that again. And you know, our, our what we are presented with is a series of shapes and sounds and and meanings and we construct them in, in our own particular way and that's what we're supposed to do as human beings we're supposed to find out for ourselves we're not supposed to depend on other people giving us answers and that's what's happening everywhere now you go onto the airplane you're told to put your mask on you're told to, told told a load of pseudoscientific guff by people who probably didn't even do very well in their gcses and it's just infuriating you know it's just absolutely infuriating we can't go anywhere without some uh tabard wearing pedant telling us how we should live our lives and i think what this has done is it's it's drawn attention to the fact that maybe 
maybe people are just differently genetically hardwired. You know, maybe it is the case that we, instead of falling into the groups of left and right, we fall into the groups of individualistic or communitarian. And maybe that's just the way it is. Maybe there are certain people that don't have much in, much in the way of sophisticated rationality to come up with answers for themselves. They are dependent. They build a dependency culture. Maybe it's something to do with nature over nurture. I don't know. Or nurture over nature. I don't know. But it's, it's really concerning. And we need to deprogram people after this, certainly, but also we need to really look at our education system and ask, what is it that's wrong with the systems that we have that we are not encouraging children to question? And the first organization that they should question is the organization that tells them they should put a mask on their face to go to school or that they should go home because a a little plastic manufactured piece of nonsense uh, that came from China tells them that they should go home. It is wrong and it is fundamental to our entire being and the entire system of government of the world. And if nothing comes out of this, we're going to reappraise what government stands for, you know, and that is a good thing. And, you know, and it, it, I don't know if the public inquiry is going to expose what has gone on here. I don't think it will. I would agree with you. Uh, but my goodness. My goodness, I never thought that I would get to the age of 59 and have to look back on all of those wonderful years. And maybe I had it good. Maybe our generation had it good. But I don't want the world as it's constituted by COVID-19 to be the world that my 20-something children have. I don't want that. And I will put every fiber of my being into ensuring that that's not the case, you know, because this is intolerable you know and the last two years have been horrific you know i like i will unashamedly say that i i have suffered like many many others who had had perfectly organized and balanced lives up to that point i have suffered my own mental health issues and anguish and, and strained patches of eczema growing in my ins insides of my arms and I, and, and and if I'm suffering in this way as a, as a middle-class wealthy individual, my goodness, how are others suffering who had to endure maybe spending weeks on end with, uh, you know, with three or four kids in a, in a two-bedroom tenement flat in London or, or in West Belfast. It is absolutely disgraceful and our politicians should be thoroughly, thoroughly ashamed. Yeah, just... Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, this is totally being demonetized at this point. And <laughs> it's fine. It keeps happening. It's like four out of the last five. But, you know, well, it'd be fine. Someday people can give me Bitcoin and you know, we'll, set up a, we'll set up a donation thing. But uh, it's, yeah, and, and yeah, I don't think, first off, you're saying that like kids shouldn't, you know, maybe not be at school if they're really sick. I think you're objecting to the, like, the, the sending home of kids who are like testing positive whilst being totally fine and being told to put masks on whilst, you know, for, like in California, for example, the Super Bowl, mm. all those celebrities like sitting there, not a mask in sight. Mm. And they're, they're fine with their entire state forcing their children to wear them eight yeah. hours a day in school. It's like, I'm sorry, sir. Fuck you. Like yeah. Gavin, it was Gavin Newsom got caught without one and, and then said, oh, it's all right. I was just taking it off for a photo, I was holding my breath. 
I know. That was his fucking excuse. Uh, absolutely but ridiculous. But like the contempt. The, the, I, mm. I, you see, right? You know, I try to be really generous to our politicians, but then I get like angry about this. I'm like the contempt that these cunts are showing for yeah. it is is like, do they have no shame? Do yeah. they have like no no self awareness? And and I I can't believe that that they just allow like that that we don't get mad at it. Like, are are we apathetic? Do we just because right? So in Britain, for example, I was thinking about this. We don't have the we haven't had. We had a pretty strong reaction, like there was the Together Declaration um, and there was a lot of the anti-mandate, anti-passport marches in London that some of them got like hundreds of thousands of people, I think, mm. from from the drone footage. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't there, so I can't say, but you know, the footage was pretty, like it looked, there was miles and miles of people. But that was, then, then we were kind of just like, well, COVID's kind of done. There was never like a... There was never like a defining protest moment mm. in the same way, for example, like Austria, they had that like hundred thousand people in 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 Vienna. And then more recently, then obviously we've seen we've seen the truckers in Canada, we've seen the 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 imitators in Paris, um, in parts of America. There was like uh videos of a convoy um in Israel now. And I look at that and I go, is that just like isn't that the most like is that the most British thing ever? Like all these other places have got like super duper patriotic and, you know, there was the hacker in New mm. Zealand in front of parliament and we've just gone like, eh, you know, whatever. Yes. <laughs> we just sort of brushed it off and be like, uh, okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, there's that, but there's the, um, the, the, the good thing. And, I, you know, some people say maybe they're, it's controlled opposition to a degree. Um, but the, the good thing was we had, we had talk radio and, and we had GB News. And um, at least, you know, certain people were given a voice as a result of those two media organizations. And, um, and that, that was something, you know, was something we could ca- catch on to. And, and I have to say, I mentioned Neil Oliver earlier, but Neil, Neil Oliver's monologues, the Saturday night monologues, I think did capture the mood of the, uh, the nation and, um, and obviously the, uh, the mood of the resistance. Yeah, I don't uh, know if you follow lefty Twitter. Um, I'm not sure if you're on there. Um, I have a lot of lefty friends, and they um, the reactions that I, I I was watching to Neil Oliver's monologues when they went viral on on Twitter were uh, amazing. Because like I I really really try like really 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 try to make sure I follow people of like literally from the most extreme like I am a communist. I want like state control of everything all the way to like government shouldn't exist um you know give me the wild west and a revolver <laughs> and it, I, I find it amazing to watch like the different reactions to the to how people and like different bits of content are viewed and neil oliver in particular is so divisive um like i know that auto english actually i've had on the show twice he has like particular umbrance with him invoking the you know my grandfather fought for for freedom sort of idea which is really strange to me like he explained why and i kind of get it but people seem why do you think neil oliver offends people so much i think i think he offends largely because he's he's such a, a brilliant communicator regardless of what you believe uh, his content to represent or his his viewpoints to be i think he's a wonderful communicator i had lunch recently with a client in london and uh, who just absolutely adores everything uh, that comes out of Neil Oliver's mouth and uh, the, 
the, the way he conveyed it to me it was just the, the, that accent, the Scottish <laughs> lilt, and the but also his use of language. It's just very evocative, and and also incredibly erudite as well. He's incredibly well read, and and his his analogies are historical analogies. You know, he's very good at using. You know, he he would he would call himself a a historic a historian or rather history obsessed journalist you know and and coast and he's and the coast guy That's yeah, he, he is, so me, he is the know? coast guy yeah but but i think it's because he's so good at language and because he's so good at articulating an argument i think that's possibly the reason why many dislike him so much because he's very good at articulating an argument an emotional argument um uh, which which goes against the the narrative, and of course, many in the in the left have been simply uh, pro providing a, a mirror or a, you know reflecting back the government narrative rather than providing an opposition. You know, Keir Starmer has been disgraceful in all of this. Um, you know, so and the thing is, this is not a left right uh, exclusive argument. It's clearly not. No. You know, I know from the together together we've got we've actually got a meeting. Uh, we had there was a, me a meeting to sort of define the seven pillars of the together campaign back in July, and we're having a a meeting this coming weekend to kind of rehash them and decide where we go from here because we know that this war is no you know it's not won yet, and and yeah. and there's much to be done still. Yeah, they spent too much money on those digital ID programs. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, where, how are they going to, to come back and how are they going to manifest themselves? Um, and of course, the digital ID program in Northern Ireland is still being used for, for COVID passports internationally as well. I, I sense from Alan, you know, that the, the movement is getting more and more focused on the international dimension because this is a cabal and they do talk to each other. And we saw that at the, you know, the Cornwall meeting of the G7. Uh, so there is a lot of on G20. There's a lot of mutual back scratching, and um, and there's clearly a, a kind of universality in terms of, of the narrative. Mm. But I've forgotten now what your question was, and I don't know where I've where I've gone. Sorry. Right. <laughs> but the, the the thing that I love is that it doesn't matter. Like in in um, Operation is it Lockstep, um, and then there's Agenda 2030. And there was the sparse pandemic and in all of these documents where they lay out how a global pandemic would go and how it would be used to like exert further control and roll out different programs that they wanted. Whether they planned it or not, they're definitely taking advantage of it. Mm. Nowhere in that thing did I see the fucking truckers. Nowhere did I see like them predicting such mass resistance to it. Nowhere in that nowhere in those documents does it say a lone comedian podcaster will become the most trusted source of information on the planet. Mm. Like, and it, it makes me so pleased because, you know, for me, it's not even about this like debate about, you know, safety is like what she would have done to keep people safe. Because, you know, like, I think most people were coming from a, a position of like genuinely wanting the best for everybody, you know, whether that manifested itself in a bit sort of totalitarian things. I think everyone wanted the best, but what it brought to me is this like beautiful fucking like the indomitability and the unpredictability of humanity is mm. like you will never ever succeed in like i think in dominating people 
as much as you could try with all of the surveillance technology and all the money in the yeah. world, I just don't think it's possible. I think people are like they love freedom, basically. Yeah. And you know, we can you can talk about oh, you know, but there's a new concept for us. You know, there was dictators and kings and rulers for for you know centuries, but people weren't under the cosh in the same way that weren't watched, they weren't controlled, that like, you know, there was a lot more sort of like roaming around. So I think that like the loss of freedom and then that like regaining mm. of it is actually quite a new phenomenon. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And this, this actually, I, I, when you were speaking there, I, I thought of an article that was written on, on, on my own blog by a, a colleague of mine. She, she writes under the uh, writer's name of um, Anna, Anna Wright. And she has a, a post uh, on the blog called We Are Civilians. And she made the point that, you know, this is essentially, or this has been a war. It's been a war uh, by governments against uh, the people. And, and those people are civilians and they're collateral damage. And they're being essentially slaughtered in a silent war. Uh, they might be being psychologically slaughtered. Um, and it was, I think it was the case that there was a lot of psychological slaughter going on and uh, the treatment of the young and, and, and the old in particular was, was horrific. But you're right, I think the, the people who have emerged from the movement who have been most vocal and the most poignant um, and the most you know, emotionally motivated have, have been the stars. You know, I, I think in, in, in Canada terms, you know, the, the origins of the trucker protest came from, I, I don't know if you follow a guy called Chris Skye, who is who, who did a, a brilliant interview. It was a sort of ad hoc interview by a, a broadcaster, I think, in, I'm not sure which, which Canadian city it was. And this was early on in the lockdown, and he articulated, I think this guy was wearing a kind of oh, vest. Oh, yeah, I know the guy. A vest, yeah, yeah, and he was yeah. tattooed up, up his neck. And... And he outlined what they were going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, he outlined the nature of the tyranny. Can you see if you can find that? And it's Chris Chris Sky, just Chris Sky. And I, I've I've kept I've kept in contact, and he coined this term, um, "United Non-Compliance." And that term, and he spoke at at a at a truckers rally uh, about a week ago, and it was it was on it was on Twitter, on YouTube as well. And uh, and he perfectly because it, there there he was coming essentially from the ground up, and his his position was we as citizens are not prepared to accept this, and it was absolutely elemental to his being that they were not in the same way as the truckers and mm -hmm. and it resonated so well and there have been individuals like that who have have really come to the fore and we've never got to find out about them either you know that that's been the wonderful thing about all of this mm, yeah jenny fine what's coming up on the google search there for it yeah chris chris sky interview yeah, yeah. That, should, that should do yeah okay. um, chris guy predicted this yeah that'll be it that'll be it right there that's yes, done. yes, that's the one. Can we get some volume? Because they know one second. You're going to need to play it through that thing. Yeah. So no, that's the, the internet. Um, yeah. There you go, speakers. So we can hear this. Yeah. Don't need a mask. The mask is about compliance because they know Canadians like to do what they're told. So if they tell you you have to wear a mask, next they're going to tell you you have to contact trace. Then they're going to tell you you have to take the vaccine. And because Canadians like to do what they're told, they're hoping that everyone just complies. And then guess what, kids? Once you take your vaccine, like a dumb person that doesn't know any better, 
they're going to tell you, sorry, the vaccine isn't as effective as we thought it was going to be. So now you still got to wear your mask, still got to get contact trace, still have all the restrictions and social distancing and still take your vaccine. And then what did you get out of all of this? You got a whole year where you weren't allowed to travel. Your business was closed. They took your rights and freedoms. They forced the vaccine on you. And what happened? The same amount of people died. Everything is the exact same. And now they're going to put you back on lockdown and bring it all the way till July of next year so they can do the same thing again. Bring you from July, August, and September, getting you off lockdown, but just to bring you back on lockdown again. If you idiots haven't figured it out yet, it's a perpetual cycle that you never get out of. And it's a way to take your rights, your freedoms, close your business, take your wealth. Why? So you become dependent on government. Why? If you're independent, the government works for you like it's supposed to. If you depend on the government to give you a paycheck to feed your family every month because they closed your business on you, now the government doesn't work for you. The government rules you. So instead of a middle class, we have the government, upper class, and the lower class dependents that rely on the government to survive. In other words, we have a slave class. And that's what they're trying to do. It's that simple. <laughs> I mean that 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 was because that was that was like summer um, <clears throat> summer twenty twenty wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. That's that's stunning. And it's you know like and he's still there and he's still involved involved in the uh, the trucker protest and he's still up there on the on uh, uh, and that and I think he defines the difference. You you were talking earlier about there being no kind of. Uh, you know, a turning point moment or whatever in the in the protests in the UK. And you're right. You know, there, yes, there have been some personalities who have emerged and 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 some leaders who have emerged as well. But the thing about Canada and the thing that that Chris was able to focus on, it's non-compliance. It's saying to the civilians, to the citizens, to the people who are suffering the collateral damage. Enough is enough. We are not prepared to put up with this and we're going to do something about it. And the truckers are doing something about it. It's not uh, a flash in the pan protest. This is them causing havoc mm -hmm. of them having to respond with emergency powers or freezing bank accounts. And incidentally, I don't think Trudeau is going to get, th get that through the federal government. Yeah, I, I don't think, think he's got the support mm -hmm. uh, uh, of, the, <laughs> of the provinces. So I think, um, I think it's also quite kind of poignant that the what he's trying to do is use financial measures, you know. So um, he was able to cut off their their funding support, um, but of course they're now using Bitcoin uh, to to get money. Um, but whether he's going to be able to uh, to uh, freeze financial assets, you know, people's bank accounts is questionable. Mm -hmm. One, it's, it's like, like such fucking, an invasion. Fucking trying. He's trying. You know, no like, like you know where like can you. Can you imagine, right? Vladimir Putin turns out tomorrow morning, headline comes up, Putin planning to freeze bank accounts of Alexander Navalny yeah, yeah. supporters. Yeah. Can you imagine the outcry from the press? Yeah. Boris Johnson announces he will freeze back supporters of, of anyone who's donated to a pro-Palestine cause. Can you imagine what mm. the outrage would be from the left? Yeah, yeah. And this is what we're looking at. It's like people being penalized financially for supporting a cause. Yeah, I think you know, I, it's just, but I, we're at a point where I can't like like temper my like no, I, 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 and of course, this is the ultimate fear. You know, I, I, I spoke at a, an event locally here a few weeks uh, just before Christmas, uh, organized by a Christian group. Now, I, I'm not from a I, I don't 
profess to have any religious faith, but um, it was fascinating in that these were these were people who were 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 Christians from various denominations, Catholic and Protestant, coming together to say, you know, they're not going to stop us worshiping. You're not. They're not going to insist that we wear masks, you know. And they used the scriptures to. Uh, uh, there was a. They brought over a, a pastor from uh, from Scotland to do a brilliant, brilliant talk. You know about the why biblically. You know they should not be adhering to these ridiculous rules. But they brought me along to, uh, to talk, and I, um, you know, I uh, and I've not forgotten my train of thought. <laughs> That's right. Churches, <laughs> churches. Speaking of the churches, um, there was there was a church pastor actually was arrested like six times in Canada. Yeah. He was uh, for for organizing. I don't know if you saw that. There was a video that they did the rounds last year where the police were trying to come into a church, and he's just like screaming. Yeah, yeah. At them and he was ref- he was referred to uh, at that that meeting. What were you asking me before, though? What was your your question that led into this? Oh, I don't know. You see, this is the problem with doing like <laughs> all Normally, I would be like, oh, yes, I'll just refer to my question, which I don't have. Um, I I have no idea what my question was, uh, but. One of the things actually I wanted to speak to you about was the was the no this is taking a definite left turn but I wanted to talk to you. About I'll probably I can come back to this as well. Cool. So I, I remember what it was I was going to say. I was yeah. I was listening to Jordan Peterson actually uh, yes. uh, and uh, on on Joe Rogan's show recently and um, it was it was interesting that he rambled all over the place and lost his train of thought frequently. So I'm in good company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that interview was really really interesting. He's he's. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm going to see him in September. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't always agree with everything he says, but I can always appreciate the fact he's thought about it, mm-hmm. you know? And it makes me think, because I think, right, okay, he wouldn't just say this without having thought about it. And therefore I have to think about, you know, what he said before I can can react badly. But yeah, I think the the, the interesting thing about, about Peterson though, and it's, uh, he didn't talk in that, uh, well, I've only got to like the third hour. I think it's about four and a quarter hours long, isn't it? But, oh, I but, smashed that out in night one. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been listening to it in the car in various journeys I've been having recently, and uh, same of like hour three. But and he certainly hadn't got into a detailed discussion around around COVID mm-hmm. and so on. But you know the the interesting thing about him is, and you know I've I've had many conversations about people since then, and and even people who attended that conference that I, I mentioned to you earlier you know whether whether the the kind of elemental truths that he refers to you know he in his book the 12 rules of life he talks about the the biblical basis but he doesn't suggest that the bible was kind of the synthesis of all knowledge or anything it was just that it was the first widely available printed book and therefore, that was the kind of that's the only basis that we have have to refer to. You know, yeah. there, yes, of course, there are there are some texts in antiquity, but there's there isn't such a huge folio of universally distributed thoughts. Um, now, it may be that there was a con- continuity from time immemorium before yeah. that, but there are certain elemental truths that he refers to in his twelve rules of life that have been breached that have been breached by government. For like the probably the most obvious one is lying. I was but I was gonna say don't stop kids while they're skateboarding, but lying is probably more important. Yeah. Well is that one too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Peterson's an interesting guy because he seems to be people get so angry about him, man. 
and 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 I don't even know what this is. Like all these people getting angry about people having a specific opinion. Like, where were all these bastards? Like during the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, when the government was literally stopping you. Like, he's like, this woman has been convicted for running alongside a man who was suicided, right? <laughs> uh, alongside him, they were running this massive. Sex, child sex trafficking ring for for decades, perhaps, right? And not a we find out about zero of the clients. Fuck you! Like the you know, it's like you're mad about Jordan Peterson saying that you know climate is about everything, and therefore you know you need to look make your models different. It's like that that is the part you're outraged mm. about, not the fact that like a woman whose like connections include all of the most powerful people in the world mm. being a child sex trafficker mm. like that you don't care about but you give a fuck about like someone's opinion yeah like why do you think and, it, and it's not even opinion and in, in yes it might be the opinion of people that that, that rogan is speaking to but you know the, the whole the, the basis of the the rogan conversations is, is that it's discursive they, they go off in tangents just as we have or they even forget their trains of thought you know it's that's what it's about it's it's about giving the op people the opportunity it's long form this is this is the other thing that has been lost uh, over over the decades you know the, the the mainstream media have given us nothing but you know bite size or sound bites or whatever they they whatever way they they care to describe them but Underneath all of this nonsense are long-form habits or long-form conspiracies or long-form um, criminality or long-form sex trafficking. The worst thing that we can do, apparently, is have a long-form conversation about the origins of this mm -hmm. or to allow people to articulate a train of thought or to allow people to engage in, in, in a, a conversation that ultimately results in a conclusion that the mainstream media or the main or, or, or the governments don't want that you know where, where it was it's clear they don't want that conclusion to be reached and that's why they object to rogan you know he has created a a, a medium which they discarded decades ago yeah. as not fit for purpose because it didn't support advertising revenue apparently and yet he can sign a hundred million dollar deal with spotify because the content that long form format is so totally compelling. Yeah. I mean, he just does a great job of it. I mean, I, like anytime I'm listening, I'm just trying to study. Um, the, but the mainstream press seem to have lost like all credibility. And like, actually, can, can you see if you can find the, uh, the clip of Russell Brand impersonating Brian Stelter? Have you seen this? I don't think so. I've, I've oh watched my, most of his recent stuff. But oh I don't know my God. It's, <laughs> it's just transcendental it's, it's so <laughs> perfect um which sounds great like, while while uh, while we're finding that you mentioned that like you thought gb news had been like a big part of the reason that the british public had maybe not gone as crazy as uh, gb news and talk radio mm -hmm. had not gone as crazy perhaps as some other parts of the world uh, and you know i i'm i for me the jury's out on gb news um i have seen some good discussions on it i've also seen some really horrendous production and and you know just not great you know obviously it's difficult to get an, uh, an organization like that started you gotta okay give us a minute then um but 
I am skeptical that another Murdoch group is the answer to our media problems. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just like, well, well, let's talk radio. To be fair, well, no, yeah. but is is GB News not Murdoch? Yeah, I think it's it's. it's pretty, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's Rupert Murdoch. I, I thought, Can it, we check I that? thought it was Talk Radio was was Murdoch. Well, maybe they're both Murdoch. But then in the case, well, of course, case, Talk Radio. Talk, and of course, I get them mixed up. Yeah, as well. And of course, and like we mentioned Neil Oliver earlier, it was his his um, discussions on Talk Radio that resulted in them getting the slot in mm. GB News. So they do interchange presenters a bit. Yeah, a bit. yeah, yeah. It's a lot of the same sort of people. Yeah, I'm, I I would agree with you. I'm I'm not sure that it's the the way forward either. But then I don't think that um, mainstream media is the way forward. Well, you know, true. and that that is exemplified by by Joe Rogan. Mm. You know, uh, I think the thinking class, uh, perhaps the individualists, um, <laughs> people who actually think about a problem and try to come up with solutions based on their own intellect and their own knowledge and their own reading. I think they have they've naturally gravitated towards um, media which support that process and and away from mainstream media. You know, the, the BBC and Sky News uh, and the rest, and and perhaps the the, the like I have a local example of this uh, in that I I published a tweet. I don't know if you've heard about this. So I published a tweet which um, it was after the. Um, the vote on um, on the vaccination status, COVID status uh, certificates in Northern Ireland, and uh, the executive obviously voted before there was the full assembly vote that that the the COVID passport should be rolled out. And I tweeted a photograph of Naomi Long saying, "This is uh, Northern Ireland's uh, justice minister, and today she voted in favour of vaccine passports." Uh, uh, in order to, to protect the health and well-being of the Northern Ireland population. Um, now, that, that tweet, uh, the last time I looked, before I deleted it, um, had one and a half million page impressions. No yeah. Million. And everybody piled in on it. Um, yeah, I saw the now, Yeah. Now the, uh, but um, now, the mainstream media's response to that locally was, uh, to vilify me every which way, to say that I was a misogynist, to say that I was fat shaming, but I, of course I hadn't said any of those things. I had simply what published. What did the tweet say? It just it just said like this is now. Yeah, longer. just just as it was, a purely factual uh, and a, a sure recent comment section was full of some. Yeah, there was some. Uh, you know, really and, and like for example, Lawrence Lawrence Fox weighed into it and said that when. Uh, I think his his comment was along the lines of you know when uh, you know when credit scoring is mm. attached to the you know social credit scoring is attached to the the passport system that she would have problems etc. Yeah. And then you had loads of misogyny. There's no question there was it was a pylon. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know She's you got could fibromyalgia say, as well, didn't she? So like yeah, it's not. It's you, well, yeah. yeah, but that 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 well, yeah, but. Um, and with with the benefit of hindsight, perhaps it was it was a foolish thing to do, but it at least it drew attention to the fact that uh, obesity was not being discussed in terms no. of the comorbidities uh, uh, or, or one of the key comorbidities that the, was the high the biggest yeah, comorbidities. Absolutely, as as yeah. um, and of course, it seemed ironic to me that somebody uh, who is morbidly obese should be telling me how I should be 
living my life or where I could go. Um, and that was the only point. And um, perhaps I used an excessively blunt instrument to make that point, but that that was the point. Yes, but but the but the the issue was then that the Belfast Telegraph took it upon itself to be the moral guardian of Ms. Long and uh, published an article saying that I was essentially a misogynist and a troll, a Twitter troll. Um, and so that article went out, I think, the, the day of the tweet, uh, or possibly the day after. And then the day after that, I was chased when I was out on a run uh, uh, by a, 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 a supposedly investigative journalist from the Sunday Life newspaper. And they then put, uh, and he recorded using a clandestine recording device um, and had a pap a photographer hiding in a hedge somewhere uh, in order to get an exclusive, you know. Now, <laughs> given the fact that I had only published a tweet, which was factually correct, it seemed to be overkill. But of course, I was getting phone calls from the Nolan show, from, you know, no you know, should have gone on, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> because of this pylon, you know. And then, of course, there was another article. So I think in total, the Belfast Telegraph in defending Ms. Long's virtue ran three articles, uh, totally vilifying me, a total character assassination for a, a single tweet. So the basis upon which they're constructing their narrative these days is increasingly based on social media, the very medium that's eating their young. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think... It's going to be interesting to watch what happens in the next couple of years with with the press because i think as soon as that covid advertising funding stops we might see a couple of papers going bankrupt because as far as they've been bankrolled like an obscene uh, tens and tens of millions of, of pounds from the british government in order to print specific headlines relating to to covid and the mm -hmm. advertising campaigns for the vaccine or the booster or whatever the next thing is you know they've they've really been propped up so oh, they're the biggest advertiser in fact i i interviewed uh john dobinson of recovery uh one of the campaign groups uh on my my blog this has gone back a few months but even then it, the, the government had become the biggest advertiser and a single advertiser in the united kingdom and this is at a time when uh when the media particularly the print media has suffered significant declines in readership and therefore concomitant declines in advertising revenue so obviously they're panicking mm -hmm. they see a, a cash cow mm -hmm. but of course this cash cow is subvented by debt you know so the furlough payments the the track and trace program the increase in the budget for the, to the NHS, all of the PPE, all of the nonsense and detritus uh, associated with the, the COVID response has all had to be paid for. And public debt is now about 2.4 trillion. You know, <laughs> you know so, so public We're debt- We're never paying that back. So public <laughs> debt is, is, uh, is subventing the mainstream media that's yeah. peddling this, a sausage machine of of garbage really you know yeah and speaking of sausage machines of garbage you i believe you have that clip of of russell brand to and brian stelter <laughs> that would be lovely it's it's amazing yeah don't forget we need some volume as well so we can hear it that's all right no problem you're doing a good job there man cheers for your help yeah that's the one 
Yes, please hit us. Which sounds great, but not all opinions are created equal. Now, also, you, Sonny Jim, you're not only making people not trust you, you're making them not trust me. <laughs> who just wing it, who make it up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms. They're like, why don't people trust me? They trust Rogan, but I'm perfectly trustworthy. Look how loose my tie knot is. Joe Rogan's <laughs> irresponsible. He took horse maggot medicine the other day. Now tell me, sir, and don't tell me anything other than this. Should there be a war? Yes, there should be a war. Interview's done. I'd like to see you do that, Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> so real. He's like, I can't believe Rogan just just gets up there and 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 wings it, and and he he just talks to people, and he has no idea what he's meant to say. And it's, it's, you can see the horror on his face. Just like, what do you mean? There's no text prompter. <laughs> it's real. Like it's, that's what they expect. He expects like the news has to come from someone who writes it down, and then I have to sit here with my papers and mm. read it from the teleprompter in that. Perfect news reader intonation mm. that only news readers speak like. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, right. So one of the things I, I wanted to speak to you about um, was the protocol. Mm -hmm. Because you, yeah, so you were a, a counselor, did you tell me last time, for the Conservative Party at one point in England? Oh, yeah, in England, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Many, um, many years ago. I was a very bad counselor as well. You know, well, most of <laughs> <laughs> and then you were on. Uh, you were part of the, that that group that was trying to bring the Conservative Party to Northern Ireland. Um, yeah, m many years ago, uh, there was a, an organisation called the Campaign for Equal Citizenship, um, and there was a. I was I studied economics at Queens, and one of my uh, lecturers was a guy called Boyd Black, who was on on the left. Uh, he was he was a, he was of the view that the Labour Party should organise in Northern Ireland, and he was so much of that view that he actually stood in a by-election in Fulham <laughs> right. on this single issue that the people in Northern Ireland should be allowed to uh, to join the, the Labour Party and and aspire to the highest political office in the land. You know, his his argument was that a child born in Northern Ireland had no prospect of seeking high political office or, office or even be prime minister. And regardless of which jurisdiction, you know, so if they were of, you know, born into a nationalist background, they had no aspiration to be teacher. So of course, Shinners would say, of course, today, you know, you can join Sinn Féin, but, but of course you couldn't because um, the, there's two jurisdictions, and therefore, child born in Northern Ireland, quick, unless the court went across the border and stood in a, in a constituency in the south. Mm. The same thing applied in terms of GB politics. You know, a child would have to go and and, and contest a, an election in England or Scotland or Wales in order to become uh, somebody in high political office. So that that was the kind of origin of it, and and because I knew Boyd, and he uh, he taught me at at university, I, I kind of got interested in this and I thought to myself, well, why is it that, you know, p your kids or people in Northern Ireland can't participate in the mainstream political parties? And that gave ride, rise to the, the the campaign for equal citizenship. And I, I kind of aligned myself to the conservative group mm. uh, within the campaign. And then that became the uh, model conservative associations in Northern Ireland. The first one uh, was uh, North Down, and then I was the first chairman of the model Lagan Valley uh, Association. Okay. But that's a long time ago. Yeah, but basically my point is that you would 
from my understanding, you would see yourself from more of a unionist perspective. Uh, no, I've never been able to call myself a unionist okay. because for me, unionist, uh, I, I, I despise nationalism. Uh, I, I don't like unionist nationalism or uh, any nationalism. I think nationalism is the kind of lowest common denominator. That's not to say that if you happen to live in a nation that has got, you know, relatively good attributes, um, you know, that provides you with relative freedom, for example, that you shouldn't be proud to be, a, 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 you know, a member or a, a citizen of that nation. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea of sort of jingoistic um, uh, national obsession, you know, like uh, Trumpism uh, is, is really quite off-putting. Therefore, I've never really been able to call myself a unionist because that's not really what defines my political being. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm first and foremost a libertarian. And I therefore have difficulty describing myself as a, a unionist. And, and of course, unionism has all the trappings of, <laughs> of, yeah. of bigotry as well. And, and, and also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not of a, a religious persuasion. So um, I, unionism often was used as a, a, a euphemism for Protestantism. And I, I certainly yeah. couldn't sign up to that. Yeah. Okay, then what do you make of this whole protocol argument? Because, like, I have been unable to understand what the fuck is going on. Because it seems like, and this is just what my take is, it's like, it seems like maybe we have a great deal at the minute with the protocol. It seems like, like we've done a lot of, like, extra exporting, especially, you know, down south. And to be honest, I don't really care where our trade goes as long as, you know, people are able to trade. Like... I don't give a fuck, you know, I'm not doing it. <laughs> but then I've, I've witnessed uh, like the DUP, especially saying that there's not a single elected unionist in Northern Ireland that supports the protocol, that it has no support within the loyalist community. Um, and then I see people making arguments about how there shouldn't be, there's no need for there to be checks at the Irish sea border and that we should be doing most of them away from the border, like at, like in forms or whatever they have to fill out like here's where our thing came from like checks of origin and things like that and that seems like maybe that would be possible i, I don't know enough but like that doesn't seem unreasonable but the whole thing is just it's i have no idea what anyone wants i have no idea <laughs> what the like what the the unionists who are saying we can't have this seek to replace it with i have no idea what their case against it is that isn't just Irish sea border because you know I need more like slightly more than that to understand what you're trying to get at because like to me that doesn't like if the, if there's that border is going to be there that doesn't make us any less British you know yeah like that doesn't change a single fucking thing for me because like the, the reason that I feel that Northern Ireland is like 40-50% British is because that's the cultural heritage we've inherited it's nothing to do with whether there's Fucking check at the docks. You yeah, know? yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with you to some extent. Um, I would caveat a wee bit, but, but, but certainly where we are is pretty much where we would have been had Theresa May succeeded in getting her uh, deal through the, the House of Commons. Uh, I think what Boris did was agree uh, uh, with uh, with the Irish government uh, a deal. Uh, which essentially was it was was the protocol, but to all intents and purposes, it was exactly the same deal as May May had on the table. Um, 
The DUP is very good at using certain things, certain bargaining counters, um, and it sees the protocol as a means of, of bargaining with, uh, with, with the government and uh, a means of sort of beating it over the head. And it, it tends to overstate public opinion. You know, the fact is that most people really don't see any manifestation of the protocol in their daily lives at all. Now, there is a burden. There's no question that there is a, there's a paperwork burden uh, and, and also a trade burden in terms of uh, particularly trade from GB to here, less so from here to there or to the south. Um, and that that's a burden that needs to be overseen. But to be honest, it's a kind of bureaucratic burden that could be overcome very quickly. Um, and Lord Frost was getting there. Um, but I think he sort of, I think it was partly frustration that he couldn't get there because uh, it was seen to be a sort of step too far to sort of um, uh, implement Article 16. Um, yeah. And uh, and I don't think there was much interest in doing that by, by Boris or the government. Um, but yeah, I think you're right in that the this sort of groundswell, like there was a, a BBC documentary that uh, Paddy Keelty hosted where he went out and interviewed a bunch of loyalists and stuff sitting on their sofas, you know, at their, at their bonfires and saying that, you know, they would, <laughs> they would consider taking up weapons again and killing people because of the protocol. And it was clear, it was a clear confection. It was a load of nonsense. Uh, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of time for Paddy Keelty and I know he suffered horrendously, but it just didn't, I believe, represent uh, the the mood. And I think you're right. There is clearly a, a supply issue, though, in terms of certain product lines. You've got, to, it, like, for example, it's bizarre that Henderson Group and Sainsbury's are now seem to be cooperating in terms of getting supply onto the shelves. You know, so you you well, now routine the free market. It's, it's good, absolutely, and it's good that 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 retailers can collaborate in those ways so that they have a good stock of product lines. I think it will be overcome. I think real politics will come into play. Uh, I think the, the competitive advantage Northern Ireland has in terms of being in, in both, you know, the EU and and the UK market uh, is perhaps a wee bit overstated. Because either way, if we come out of the protocol or stay within it, um, we'll have that competitive advantage just because of our geographical location. So yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's totally overplayed, and I certainly and I haven't. As far as I was concerned, I, 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 I felt that the even with the protocol and possibly as, with the protocol as a kind of transitional arrangement, that it was a good deal mm. and that we should we should do it, and uh, and it kept everybody happy. Yeah. The irony is that with the COVID legislation on both sides of the border, we we came closest to putting in place a physical infrastructure at the border than we ever came to with the Northern Ireland Protocol. Oh, that's really or... funny. <laughs> 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 oh, but also, it was. You think, it, you think you could get Michelle O'Neill to cheer for COVID? Is that if that was the thing that finally gave her? You well, know, of course they did. And, <laughs> well, you know the the Sinn, Sinn Féin's position uh, either side of the border is completely different. You know. Mm -hmm. um, that was weird, man. Uh, yeah. Which suggests, like, that, that that just, like, pulled it all back from here. It's just like, these are just, you know, because at some point you can think that there's, like, a semblance of, okay, maybe they're doing it because they think that's the right thing to do. But when the party is doing two different things, north and south of the border, and you're watching them, and they're both saying, we're following the science, and the science is different once you cross the border, mm. then it's like, what are you doing? Come on, seriously? Like, which one of you fucks is lying? Yeah, because you are you. It's like it's like watching. I've been I've been following the Austrian news because like it's a place very close to my heart, 
it makes me sad that they've lost their balls but uh, (laughs) um, but i i i watch the way that like things are talked about there and they'll be like well our policy is following the science and then you'll look at the british news and they'll be like our policy is following the science you look in the american news depending on which state you're in it's like california is following the science or texas is following the science or south dakota is and i'm just looking at it being like how can any of these people believe that anymore? Mm. Like, the, you know, the, you just you just say it's like whatever you say is like supported by the science. Okay, sure. And it's the, this this uh, the turning of, of science into a noun, which is very strange. You know, like it, 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 I was taught that science was about a process, about evaluating, about you know conjecturing and, and pr- proving hypo- hypotheses. Mm. And suddenly it's now the science. You know, like there's only one version of truth. Uh, and of course, it's their version of truth. <laughs> yeah, the 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 book Burning Bastards. Like, I, I yeah, I, I. It's interesting to watch which of the people on the left that I respect, which of them, um, have stayed true to their values, and which of them haven't. And it's not the ones that you, I would have thought. Mm. And I'm glad to see some of them remaining somewhat. You know, in the, the you know, I haven't lost respect for them. But a lot of them. I'm just like, I can never look at you the same again. Mm-hmm. I can never believe that you actually give a fuck about anybody. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I, um, you know, the weird one. You know, Aaron Bastani, the head of Navarra Media. Not really. No, it's a uh, Navarra. Oh yes, of course, he has yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. he's he's like a he's weirdly tweeting many positive things about China. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are you always tweeting positive things about China? It's like they used to always say positive things about Russia, you know, or the Soviet Union. It's, it's so like, weird, man. It's, it's, it's not like there's no ide- ideologically. The Chinese people. Yeah. But it's... like, you can't just be like, I just don't understand it. It's like, I, I would rather we were free and poor than rich and enslaved. Mm. And that seems to be a weird position now. Mm. Well, it's it, it's it's funny too the, the number of um, senior civil servants or or even you know people people with you know adv- previous advisors to members of the cabinet uh, who end up in the employ of of Chinese organisations. You know, it was it was kind of a truism. Uh, you know, I wor- worked for three years for the civil service up until December uh, twenty twenty. And um, you know, it was it was a truism within the civil service, particularly in the team that I worked with, which was the the tech team. Um, you know, who which civil servant would leave next in order to join Huawei? You know, <laughs> you know it, because and they they were offered vast, huge amounts of money because you know, com- certainly compared you know to even a permanent secretary's salary, you know, these guys were able to offer so much more. And 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 so so much better schmoozing and corporate hospitality oh, gigs yeah. as well. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but I mean, if China's paying, like you know, money is infinite when no one audits your central bank. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the real like they say they could say there's this many um, yuan in circulation or yen or whatever you pronounce it, and we'd have to just go. All right, fair enough. And there could be five times that many in circulation. Mm. They could be stealing all the dollars from the world. Like by exchanging it, and you know, the, the, there's so many ways in which the, the Chinese could absolutely destroying our economic, financial, and like yeah, and, and political and, systems, and we're all just like, eh. 
and and look at look at what they did with Bitcoin, you know, because Bitcoin. And of course, there is a conspiracy associated with Bitcoin as well. There's a lot of there's, oh, a, there's a group, the CIA. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, yeah, there's yeah. that. There's, but regardless, sometimes the CIA makes makes things that sort of go off in their own direction and become quite useful. Well, wasn't it Marx said that the capitalists will create the tools of their own destruction? Yeah, but assuming it's not created by the CIA and is genuinely a libertarian currency and uh, and and the creation of a new parallel financial system, um, you know. It's certainly like, you know, it, Bitcoin, there was a point when Bitcoin was essentially pegged to Chinese interest rates. You know, there was an inverse relationship with interest rates and Bitcoin pricing, you know. Um, and then, of course, since uh, the uh, the Chinese government decided that Bitcoin was no longer welcome, uh, it all moved to Texas yeah, yeah. and Florida. And, Kazakhstan. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and of course, look what happened in Kazakhstan when they switched off the internet. Mm. Uh, it was almost as though it was like a laboratory. I was speaking to Nick Hudson um, of Panda about this recently, and he was saying, look what's happening in Kazakhstan. Is this a conspiracy? Have they deliberately switched off the internet just to see what might happen? You know, because this was like a lab trial. And of course, what did happen? They switched off the internet. The ATMs didn't work. And then they decided that they would make money available only to people who had been vaccinated. You're like, seriously, is this, is this it? Is, are you going to be so patently stupid in terms of your lab trials to show that this is the model that's going to be used in the future? We're going to have a centralized banking system. We're going to issue currency only to the people that we deem to be appropriate to hold currency. Yeah, I mean, I take Bitcoin over my cold, dead body. Like, they can... Like that thing in Canada with them turning off the bank accounts or even just attempting to switch off the bank accounts is like, for me, the ultimate justification for not having a central bank digital currency. Like, oh, of course. But the key question is, what are the banks going, going to do about it? You know, there, there has to come a point because this is existential as far as the, the retail banks are concerned. The retail banks could take the decision, oh, we, we'll not say anything. We, we'll just go with the flow. We'll be corporatist in the same way as Microsoft and LinkedIn and, and Google and all of them have, have been corporatist. They could take that decision or they could say, you know something? We have a, a, a business model that works. We have been through all of the regulatory strictures that were laid down for us after the, the great crash in 2008. We have put in place all of the, the assets and, and so on that, that, that we have had to put in place. Uh, and still, they're going, because of, their, of, the, of central bank's own foolishness uh, uh, and undermining of, of fiat currencies, uh, despite all of that, we are going to let them tell us how we should behave and how we should uh, govern ourselves. What they should be saying is, we, the retail banks, own the fiat currencies. We'll put in place the processes to protect currency. And what government is doing is fundamentally flawed to the extent that government needs to be pulled down to size, because it does. And maybe that's what's gonna come next. Maybe we're gonna get a total reorientation of society where we say, governments are there merely to provide basic regulations, light, light touch facilitation or whatever it is, but it sure as hell isn't telling people how they should live their lives and it sure as hell isn't telling people what their currency should be. Yeah, we're going to see, a, I think the next the next year or two is going to be like, that's when this battleground is going to happen mm. because like we've come out of this 
And I think a lot of people have woken up to realize how much power the government have at the drop of a hat. And I think we've seen a lot of people absolutely turned on by that and like fucking wanking themselves and into an early grave. Like the same people who were like, oh, cops are bastards. And I'd be like, bring in the police. It's like, okay, right. <laughs> get some ideological consistency if you're going to claim to be that yeah. stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> the I think we're going to see, yeah, this... Um, this really changed over the next couple of years and i'm i'm curious to see where we end up on things yeah how long how long have we gone where were we at blair oh fuck right yeah well i mean that's that's probably a, <laughs> a nice place to leave it on uh, is there like anything you want to plug before we finish uh jeffrey no not not especially just uh, uh i would encourage anybody who hasn't already signed the uh the liberty ni uh declaration locally um or the, uh, the Together Declaration uh, to sign um, and, um, you know, to, to watch this space. You know, I'm, obviously I'm very closely aligned with Together, but, um, uh, you know, we, we haven't finished yet. We're, we're in the game of helping to restore the democratic values that were ripped away from us uh, in March. When is it? March 2020 or oh, March 20? No, March March yeah, 2020. Yeah, yeah. Just coming up to two years ago. So, uh, watch this space. We're not done yet. Well, thanks very much, man. Thanks. You're very welcome, Josh. It's been a pleasure. So, right. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment, that would be awesome. Please like, share, subscribe, and if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening.